my wonderful friends, welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. Uh, this is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. Uh, this is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, I'm pastor to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also your uh, Drive Time presenter every Tuesday and Wednesday. It is a fantastic privilege to be able to share with you uh, this uh, week. Uh, folks, look, uh, we'd love to have you respond to us. Uh, if you'd like to come back to us, if you'd like to tell us where you're listening from, I'd like to do a really big shout-out. I've just been informed that our uh, our friends up at Cooperpedia have just joined into our network, and I want to say a really big uh, shout-out to our mates at uh, Cooperpedia. Look, for guys, if you are in Cooperpedia and you... Uh, uh, why not let us know uh, so that I can pass it on uh, that our, all our gear is working up at that part of the world. It's a beautiful part of the world. You've had some rain up there lately, though. Things are more boggy, I understand, than uh, uh, than dusty. But look, if you'd like to say hello to us, why not just text us uh, on our studio text number? It's 488 11. We'd love to hear from you. Anywhere else in Oz as well, uh, it'd be fantastic to be able to uh, to touch base with you. Uh, now, look, uh, this week we are following the theme uh, where we've been asking uh, a history of tomorrow. Is it possible? And, of course, we're commencing a, what's going to be a three- or four-week series uh, talking about biblical prophecy. But what we're wanting to do is to deal with this in small bites. We're not wanting big bites. We're just going to do small bites just a little bit each day so that if uh, perhaps you, uh, you know, maybe you've had questions about biblical prophecy. Can I trust it? Where does it come from? Uh, what does the the beast, uh, what does that really mean? We're going to spend a, a few days just digging into that and you're going to come to a really uh, wonderful understanding of what the Word of God is saying. This is small bites just uh, every day for probably the next uh, three or four weeks. This week we've started by talking about a history of tomorrow. Is it possible? And today we're actually going to be chatting on the question, archaeology and prophecy. Uh, is there truth in the dust? Uh, in other words, does archaeology uh, confirm the prophetic word? And, you know, this is such a beautiful, beautiful subject. Uh, this has got uh, so much uh, reality uh, linked uh, linked to us. Uh, now, look, uh, to guide us through our, our discussion today, we're actually joined by our regular uh, Wednesday co-host, and that's Pastor David Butcher. And uh, David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Oz. And welcome to you, David. Good afternoon, Gary, and um, we're in winter, aren't we? We are in winter, and you're able to sit here without even so much as a jumper on. Yeah, look, I am, and, and I want to welcome to the listeners in Cooperpedia, and if you're listening from any other region in Australia and you've just joined um, Faith FM, our Faith FM family of listeners for the first time, or or you're in a region which has just got Faith FM, welcome on board. Cooperpedia, Gary, is close to my heart. I've uh, been up there recently, and... Um, yeah, we have an underground church in Cooperpedia, yeah. uh, which is uh, something to behold. Um, if you've ever slept underground, and I know you would have slept underground, yeah. um, uh, it's just pitch black. Yeah. But the yeah. temperature 
is beautiful. So right at the moment at Cooper PD, it has been very cold and very cool, but inside underground, it's just a nice ambient temperature. And yeah. so I want to um, thank God for um, our, our ministry team in Cooper PD, but to everyone listening in that region, welcome, and also to all of our listeners across Australia. Yeah, it, it's wonderful how many <coughs> news stations we're actually having coming on board. You know, all over, the, I actually have a little bit of a count here, and uh, every day uh, the count seems to be going up, and not just on the number of people actually receiving, the number of stations actually receiving, but the uh, sheer um, a number uh, that are able to uh, to hear hear us. And uh, of course, going live today, we've got 152, according to my uh, my count count here, uh, that are able to pick us up live. And of course, there is a, we're a low power FM station, so you know we don't have the reach of the big stations, but you know the real benefit of the low power stations is that a lot of country towns uh, right across Oz uh, can actually receive our broadcasts uh, that really it's uneconomical for the really big stations to be able to uh, uh, to, to 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 work out of. Uh, so, guys, it, it, it really is wonderful to have you have you on board. And, Gary, just I'd really like to highlight again the <laughs> Faith FM app. Get onto your app store or Google Play store and download the Faith FM app because you can listen to any programs you've missed, not only from Drive Time, big Q&A, but from any any program on Faith FM. Listen to your favourite uh, uh, shows, and I'm yeah. sure we'll be right up there, won't we, Gary? I indeed, in fact, I'll tell you what I've downloaded. I've certainly got that on my app, and uh, one of the things I love to do, because we are low power, which means sometimes, you know, you fade in and fade out if you happen to be in the big city, but, you know, if I, you download the app onto your phone and then you simply Bluetooth it to your, your car radio, uh, you get perfect reception, the same level of reception as you get with the uh, with the big stations, and you can be listening to Faith FM 24-7. I, I think this app is an app Absolutely brilliant uh, innovation. If you want to get it, guys, look, just go to your favourite app store and just look for Faith FM Australia. But you've got to add that Australia because if you just go for Faith FM, you'll get American voices and uh, you don't want American voices. You want Australian voices because Faith FM Australia broadcasts out of uh, studios all around uh, all around Australia. Uh, now, David, look, let's come to our World Watch uh, uh, segment now. And this is, of course, an article that we look at uh, every day concerning uh, religion and the scriptures that's actually in the uh, uh, in the media. Uh, now just today I, I went on to the Religion News Service and there was an article there that uh, reflected on a study that's just been completed just been released in the uh, United States. It concerns uh, religion and spirituality and this is what it was entitled, Religion and Spirituality Can Aid Youth Mental Health Crisis. Now David I don't know about you but I'm really conscious that continually through the media today we're hearing a lot about the mental health crisis that our young people are facing and uh, this uh, this study certainly has some mixed results in it but it brings out some really interesting conclusions and uh, uh, this is the subtitle was religion and spirituality could help remedy the mental health crisis springtide research finds and this is what the article said it's no secret that America's youth are in crisis and of course we've certainly picked that uh, reality up here in Oz as well uh, two of the tech uh, born into a tech saturated world 
world shaken by domestic terrorism, ecological devastation and economic instability, Gen Z is more likely to report mental health concerns like anxiety and depression than older generations. In many ways, the pandemic has forced mental health discourse into the limelight, prompting the US Surgeon General to issue an advisory last December on the COVID-19's devastating impact on youth mental health. A new study of 13 to 25-year-olds from Springtide Research suggests that spirituality could be part of the remedy, though it notes for some young people it also contributes to the problem. Now, there is actually a divide here, and I find this divide uh, really, really significant. I think religion is a place to find belonging. It's a place to connect with a higher purpose, which is a calling from God in my understanding, said Mark, age 22, an interviewee cited in the report. I think it's also, for many people, a restriction on freedom, a sort of obligation which, which creates a lot of shame in some people's lives. In general, the report, which is based on qualitative interviews as well as fielded surveys, finds that having religious and spiritual beliefs, identities, practices and communities are all correlated with better mental health wellness amongst young people. A majority of all young people, 57%, and nearly three quarters of religious young people agree that their religious and spiritual practices positively impact their mental health. Many participants cite prayer as playing a role in their spiritual practice. 51%, they started praying regularly during the pandemic. And 74% of participants who pray daily say they are flourishing compared to 57% who never pray. Spiritual beliefs and community identity also correlate with positive mental health. 74% of young people who identify as very religious say they agree or strongly agree that they're in good physical and emotional condition, compared with just 42% of non-religious young people. 7 in 10 young people, or 70%, currently connected to a spiritual or religious community report having discovered a, satis- a satisfying purpose in, in life. Young people make it clear that religion uh, can, however, feel toxic when it's primarily presented as pressure to live up to difficult expectations rather than a vehicle for helping them navigate their current difficulties, the report says. In uh, uh, As the report uh, climaxes, it, it says this, uh, the report's findings come from a survey of nearly 10,000 young people in the US, ages 13 to 25, conducted between November 2021 and March 2022 and contain a margin of error of plus or minus 3%. Uh, now, of course, if you want to get a copy of uh, uh, these conclusions, you can pick that up on the Religion News Service uh, website. Uh, significantly, however, and this is, David, something I'd like to just toss to you, uh, what the report does say, the re- Port proposes three ways for organisations to effectively address youth mental health. Now, these three things, I believe, are incredibly significant. Firstly, you've got this issue of fostering belonging. Secondly, 
provide practical tools to meet others' expectations, and three, nurture a sense of purpose in young people. And what the report seems to be saying is when uh, these purposes are satisfied, you start to get positive mental health outcomes. Now, David, uh, you know, I mean, you've got young people of your own. You know, the young people are part of the the church. You know, you've spoken to young people. Uh, you know, young people are certainly a significant part of your, your ministry. How do you relate to this article? And particularly, uh, these uh, these methods that are recommended to address youth mental health yeah it's sort of mixed uh exciting in a sense that um religious practices and religious belief and a connection uh clearly there are positive um impacts on that when uh, and and i guess lessening the likelihood or aiding someone going through these stages or 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 um anxious moments or depression or anxiety. So that that's positive. Uh, the challenge is, I guess, also that um, uh, whether someone's highly religious and highly connected, there still is that possibility to, to be experiencing anxiety or depression or some of these things. And so there can be that, that negative pressure, and I'll, I'll get to your question mm-hmm. in a minute. There can be that negative pressure that you're feeling that you need to conform, that yeah. um, why aren't you feeling or experiencing Experiencing what other people appear to be experiencing, and so there can be burdens sometimes of guilt or or, or shame or not fitting in or it's not working for me. I'm not. Do you think this has enough. got a lot to do with how uh, Christianity or religion itself or a church is presented? You know, I mean, is it possible for some churches to come across maybe as incredibly controlling, uh, incredibly, uh, I suppose, uh, um, hard on young people? Yeah. Look, I, th- I think that is true, and sometimes even unintentionally. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, uh, churches may espouse biblical principles and biblical beliefs, uh, and, and even, um, uh, apparently be doing it in a loving, caring manner. Mm. But we also need to remember that the stages uh, young people go through, they're, they're, the whole world is spinning, isn't yeah, it? Shaken yeah, up yeah, as they yeah. go through puberty and, and various life stages, trying to fit in, trying to belong. Uh, and so I, I guess church leaders, parents, uh, church members need to be really mindful of being there to support young people and accepting them. And I think it's important to accept someone no matter what, but you may not agree or condone what they're doing. Yeah, I, I, the, the thing that I appreciate, you know, certainly about the conclusions that were drawn here is you've got, you know, fostering certainly the first, belonging. fostering belonging. You know, you, uh, young people need to feel that, hey, this is a place that I belong. Uh, and it's interesting, Gary, you started reading that we live in this age of this high-tech age. Yeah. And yet what that is doing to so many people, while we might have the ability to connect more than ever before, we're doing so in isolation. Yeah. And, yeah. and studies clearly show that we're, when we're isolated, it impacts our emotional and mental well-being. Yeah. And so young people in particular, they'll spend hours, uh, long hours, inordinate amount of hours on screens, on social media, uh, and there still often is not a sense of belonging. Yeah, yeah, and I think this is so key. I mean, I, I compare it often to, I suppose, my own 
years of uh, certainly first attending church, and uh, and certainly we came, uh, myself and my brother came from a, a fairly dysfunctional uh, family. But you know, it was within the church environment. I grew up in a uh, in a little church in the western suburbs of Sydney, uh, over there. You know, in the western suburbs in those days, it was getting out towards the Blacktown uh, Blacktown area, and uh, I learned to drive on on Parramatta Road, and uh, you know, but our church was a church only had about a hundred people ever attending it, but the youth group was a group of probably you know, a dozen a dozen people. But uh, the young people were actually loved, and the young people uh, were provided opportunities. I can well remember, you know, being provided opportunities in in leadership uh, far before I believe. Looking back now, I was actually ready to actually do that, and yet I was trusted to do that. And this is key. The fact that there is an older generation that actually entrusts and believes and invests in the younger generation, irrespective of whether they're fully ready or not. Indeed. But but they shouldn't just be handed the the keys. Here it is. They should yeah. be supported. And when we have older people mentoring young people, supporting young people, being there just to listen. I, I, I will remember, actually, David, you know, I mean, uh, one of my memories at, at the church was on, on one particular occasion ha- how our church did that because this mentoring process is just so important. Uh, you know, I, I, I will remember in those days one of the things we used to do was we used to distribute literature and you know, put it in the in the letterbox, share about, you know, what faith, what what, yes. the, what programs the, the church had coming up. And, you know, on a, on a Saturday afternoon, we'd often go and spend an hour or two giving out some of this some of this literature. But one of the practices this little church had was that uh, before you actually put anything in the letterbox, you had to actually put your your little signature uh, in the top right hand corner. You know, just ju- not your signature, your initials. your initials, just your initials, uh, so that when it came back in, they knew. Who had actually put it in the box? Uh, anyway, I I found this absolutely. I I thought it was. A, I mean, this is a little bit of a a little bit of a have, but everyone else was doing it, so I did it. Uh, and I well remember, and, and we did it on numerous occasions. But on one particular occasion, uh, we actually uh, had uh, um, uh, the church elder came up to me and he said, uh, Gary, uh, he said, yeah, he said, uh, one of the pieces of literature on this occasion, that piece of literature was asking if people would like to, uh, like to share the, the Bible and study the Bible with somebody. And, uh, uh the church, uh, church elder came up to me and he said, Gary, one of your pieces of literature. And I'm only age 12 at this time. And, uh, he said to me, it, it just come back in. And I said, oh, that's lovely. And he said, good, now you've got to follow up on it. Now, I was just waiting to find out what your response from that head elder would have been. And that's powerful. Oh, yeah. And, and he, he said, you know, I, I, my mouth just dropped up. He said, don't worry. He said, I'll come with you. And so he actually came, came with me. And I can well remember just, you know, for, you know, just sitting down with a person. And just sharing with them from a, from a very early age. But you know, uh, what, uh, what that actually said to me was that, hey, something that I had done, uh, was being recognized. What something that I had done was actually being valued as something, you know, this, uh, this to me was a, a, an amazing experience. And it had purpose for someone else as well. And it had purpose for somebody else a- as well. And so what you've highlighted, engaging young people, getting them actively involved in religious experiences and activities is paramount. Yes, yes. And so making people feel belong, uh, that they belong, that they're part of a community, and I don't I don't believe it's just young people. Yeah. We're living, I think, in an age where humanity 
as a whole and in our Western civilization is lonelier than ever. Yeah. More isolated, yeah. more alone yeah. Yeah. than ever before. Yeah. And if ever there was a place for the Christian church to, to, to be that beacon of community. Yeah. It surely would have to be today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't think you can actually divorce. I mean, the last um, thing here that, that's actually listed is uh, uh, these. Uh, uh, we need to instill in uh, young people and, and nurture a sense of purpose in. I would say all of us. You know, it, it's a, quite an amazing thing. I think that belonging is important, but belonging without purpose is valueless. Absolutely, because I think. Um, that purpose ultimately um, cements the belonging. Yes, yes. A- and all Christians have been given a commission, a yeah. reason for existence. Yes, yes. You know, the Christian church is not to be a social club. It should be a missional hub where, where people go out from and engage in the world and build relationships with it. We have a purpose. Yeah. And so when young people, you know, you're 12, you're sharing in that story, when, when the, the elder of the church says, hey, you've got to follow up on this, you weren't yeah. expecting that. No, 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 this was, uh, a, and so then they when, jumped me. Yeah, and so then when you actually sit with that person, presumably yeah. with another adult, I yeah. hope, yeah. Um, then what happens is you get to see the impact that the Bible is making on someone else's life. There's purpose. That's it. That's it. And, and, you know, that was something that this church certainly did for all of their young people. And uh, I, I'm just selling it so well. You know, looking back now, I say, hey, look, you know, for us, I we certainly regard it as quite normative behaviour. Uh, but as I've functioned in ministry for many years now, I've realised that that church was probably the exception. It probably wasn't the rule even for, for that era in the, in the mid-1970s. And in my own experience, Gary, was one of, yeah, growing up in a church where the young people, the youth had, uh, were, were real focal points and we were engaged in significant ministry opportunities at very young ages. Yeah. Uh, that impacts you. Now today, um, churches can sometimes be more fragmented. Yeah. yeah. But not only do we need to have the purpose of reaching those who are out, we need to retain those who are within our churches, the old and the young. But the young are so impressionable, they're easily put off, and it's important to invest in them, to support them, to know their name, and to be there to listen. Mm -hmm. And if they fall away, if they stop coming, if they get upset, don't write them off. Yeah, yeah. Folks, look, if you'd like to, we, we do need to move on, but look, if you would just like to say thank you to a church perhaps that you grew up in uh, for the way that they mentored you, why don't you just text us and just tell us where that church was? Because we'd love to be able to just say, hey, thank you uh, for the way that you've mentored a, a young person. Uh, look, guys, if you'd like to just uh, text us, you can text us. Our drive time text number is 04 Eight eight oh eight eleven oh four triple eight eight oh eight eleven. We'd love to be able to hear from you on uh, on this issue, uh, guys. Look, let's come to some music. This is City of Light, uh, not I, uh, but through Christ in me. Uh, please, uh, please enjoy. Free. 
City of Light, not I, but through Christ in me. What a beautiful rendition uh, that that really is, uh, folks. I just want to say thank you for those who have responded to that uh, to, to that question uh, that that I asked. People wanted to just simply say, "Hey, uh, thank you to, uh, to to churches that uh, uh, that have really mentored them." Do you know, I just want to do a big shout out to the uh, to the Preston Church in uh, uh, over there in Melbourne to our good mates in Melbourne. Ben has sort of said. Has certainly responded to us. Uh, I understand you un- you know the Preston Church, uh, David. Yeah, I do, Gary. It was the church I grew up in, and a church that invested in me and many other young people. And I know Ben, so. Uh yeah, great to hear from you, Ben, and great to hear from you, everyone else. So he's one of your one talks. Uh, yes. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that sounds good. It's also good to, uh, just say hello to our, uh, to our mates on, uh, on Kangaroo Island here in, uh, here in South Oz. Uh, great to hear from, uh, uh, from Fraser. Uh, really do appreciate, uh, the, uh, the affirmation that you've, uh, you've certainly provided, uh, to, uh, to your church and certainly to the Living Ministry Media, uh, team. Uh, and of course they've been doing, uh, a ministry, uh, on, uh, on that Particular location on Kangaroo Island. Kangaroo Island's a beautiful, beautiful little uh, uh, little spot, folks. If ever you're here in Adelaide and you don't get to Kangaroo Island, you've missed one of the most pristine places uh, I think there is in Australia today. It's uh, it's really a, a fantastic uh, spot. And uh, uh, thank you, uh, Fraser. And Fraser just notes that uh, he's really looking forward to being baptised this month. Uh, and uh, we rejoice uh, with you. Look, folks, if there's anybody else that just love to say hey. 
uh, thank you, uh, to, to the church where they were mentored, mentored. We'd love to give that uh, a big shout out. Now, of course, today we also have our giveaway, uh, piece of, uh, piece of literature. This is, uh, uh, a little booklet. This is only a small booklet. It's entitled The History of Tomorrow. Uh, now, uh, this talks uh, about, uh, history as it, uh, establishes prophecy. And this was written by Julian Archer. Now, uh, this is a great book. People have raved about this particular book. You can read this book while you're sitting on the train, uh, going to, to work while you're sitting on the bus, uh, with, uh, with a few mates. This isn't difficult. This isn't a huge book. Uh, this is just a, a small little booklet. Uh, what the, um, uh, the, the booklet starts by saying elite forces of international diplomats crisscross our globe. Uh, they frantically negotiate to try to deflect blazing sparks away from a fuel-drenched religio-political conflicts. The search is on for a leader who can calm our fears and deliver peace and security on our planet. Is it possible? Uh, and what does biblical prophecy say? Uh, that's what Julian Archer attempts to resolve in this particular book. Guys, look, if you would like uh, this particular uh, this particular book, uh, then please uh, come come back to us. Uh, all you need to do is to use that same uh, text number. Uh, now, look, that uh, text number uh, again is o four triple eight. 80811 and all you need to do is in, don't write anything just give us the code and the code is SA125 just five digits in a row uh, don't put any gap between the SA and the 125 because we've got a, a low level robot that can't understand what happens when uh, there's a gap between the digits uh, so uh, just SA125 that'll go through to our robot we call him Faithful uh, he'll come back to you ask you a few questions so that we can get this book to you in the fastest way possible. Fantastic little book, The History of Tomorrow. That number again is 04-888-80811 and the code is SA1125. Uh, now folks, uh, let's uh, let's come to our, our subject uh, today. You are listening of course to uh, Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary and our co-host today is Pastor David Butcher and David's the President of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Oz. And this week we've been following the theme uh, where we've been asking a history of tomorrow. Is it possible? We're starting to dig into Bible prophecy and we're going to be doing that for about the next three or four weeks. We're going to be taking it in small chunks. We're not going to be dealing with uh, a lot of material any one day, but just small chunks, that, small bite size chunks that uh, can easily be uh, be picked up by uh, maybe somebody who you know hasn't, uh, uh, ha- that isn't familiar with uh, the scriptures at this point. Today, we're asking archaeology and prophecy. Uh, is there truth in the dust? Uh, what does archaeology say about Bible prophecy? Is there evidence? You know, yesterday, uh, the th- one thing that we, we did look at was the issue of history. And we showed how history confirms what biblical prophecy is saying. Today, we're simply asking Archaeology, does it also confirm what the, uh, prof- the prophets, uh, the prophetic word, uh, does declare? Now, uh, David, um, I'm conscious that our time's already starting to get away from us. Uh, look, can, can you possibly just take us through this one? It, what does archaeology say to you about the reliability of biblical prophecy? So what it does do, Gary, it, it 
I believe it confirms the historicity of the Bible, the fact that it can be trusted, that the what the Bible says, uh, its evidence has been confirmed by archaeology, possibly not until the early 1800s. Uh, was this largely the case? Prior to that, um, there were sceptics that would say, you know, the Bible doesn't uh, mention a King David. We can't find any evidence of this in archaeology. Therefore, it must be wrong. Certainly also with some people groups and many other parts of what the Bible said, uh, archaeologists couldn't find evidence for. But come the 1800s, we have this amazing amount of discoveries yeah. Uh, through the diggings that have confirmed uh, many, many elements of the Bible to be absolutely true. And so I think what we can say is that these finds, and we'll touch on a couple of them, these finds actually confirm uh, what the Bible has said. So if we can trust the Bible in those areas, yeah, uh, thousands of years later the evidence has been discovered. Yeah. Surely we can trust the Bible and the rest of what it says. This is God's book. It's been yeah, preserved yeah, for a reason. Yeah, yeah. So, Gary, let's let's start off on this journey. And perhaps the most famous, um, I guess, archaeological find when it relates to the Bible would be the Dead Sea Scrolls. And um, they were discovered in 1947 by um, some shepherds. Some people say a shepherd boy. He he threw a stone, and um, up he was down in the valley. Threw it up. It went into a cavern, a cave, and he heard a different clunking sound when that stone went in. Mm. And he went up to check it out. And um, it's the western side of the Dead Sea, and um, he found this pottery there in which contained scrolls and parchment, leather and parchment. And uh, essentially, this is possibly, Gary, and I know you've been there too, haven't you? Mm, this is possibly the greatest find, I think, that that gives evidence of the 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 trustfulness and the truthfulness. And of, the, veracity the veracity of the, of the, scriptures. Of, of the scriptures. Yeah, I, I, I've had the privilege of actually going to the Dead Sea and uh, certainly walking over the Qumran uh, site. Uh, beautiful. This is incredibly dry. And, of course, it's because of the dryness of that area that you've got such amazing... Uh, uh, preservation uh, that's actually occurred. But, David, look, why is this uh, this p- particular uh, find? Now, um, how how old was that find, you know, when, when it was finally dated? Yeah, so it, it was basically dated, Gary, to, um, yeah, about a thousand years before, wasn't it? So found in about 1947. It was found 1947, and I think the actual date uh, that it was dated to is about 100 BC. So it pushed... So almost we're saying, yeah, there's about a 1,000 or 1,100-year gap between um, the scripts that we did have and, and once these ones were uncovered, and these were older. And a lot of people actually don't realise this, David, that, and because this is just so significant. Uh, up until, uh, these, these scrolls being, being discovered, the oldest extant, uh, manuscripts that we had of the Bible, uh, dated to, uh, to about the early 1000, 1100, 1200, that, that mm. sort of date. So we were able to go back about a thousand years, but there was this mysterious thousand year gap, uh, of the first millennium where we basically had nothing uh, and yet the Dead Sea Scrolls come along they're actually dated back to about 100, 100 BC and 
It's at that time that these scrolls are now able to be compared with the more recent versions, which were a thousand years later. And this is amazing, isn't it? It is. Absolutely amazing, because they didn't really find any significant discrepancies. Remember, there's no photocopiers, right? Yeah, indeed. This is all hand-copied. And the, the people that lived in Qumran that copied these, uh, it was such a diligent and, and a very um, carefully constructed process to ensure that almost without fail, almost without fail, there wouldn't be any errors. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think um, what most of the scholars have now concluded is that there is no substantive difference between that which was written back uh, in 100 BC and that which was still extant a uh, thousand and eleven hundred years years later, which to me says to me, hey, the Bible has been transmitted uh, down through eon uh, eons uh, with remarkable reliability. The Bible is something that I can trust. Well, well you think, Gary? We have 190 biblical scrolls or fragments of 190 biblical scrolls. Um, some of them are only a tenth of a biblical book, yeah. but we have an actual complete copy of uh, one scroll of Isaiah. Indeed. And, and many, many other books. And so you've got this period, this incredible transmission of the biblical text um, with minimal differences between the Old Testament texts of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the additions of the Hebrew text produced a thousand years later and used yeah, today. Yeah, so yeah. here we are operating on the more recent texts mm. and then we find discovered in 1947 ones that dated more than a thousand years prior Yeah. Yeah, with yeah. minimal difference. With minimal difference, you know, David. I I'm conscious that we we do have to come to some music, but uh, you know, I would just like to encourage our listeners. If ever you have an opportunity to move over there to you know the Middle East and to maybe do some uh, touring through the Middle East, or whatever you do, please make sure you go look up uh, the Dead Sea Scroll Museum because there's an entire museum dedicated uh, just to these scrolls. Uh, they're protected under glass uh, in humidified. Uh, in humidified air, uh, this is this is a uh, is something that's well worth seeing because what it did what it did for me was to establish my faith again in the incredible Word of God. Uh, to me, that was that was incredibly exciting. You know, the Dead Sea Scrolls they certainly said something to me about the Word of God. The Scriptures, the prophetic Word, is something that I can trust. Uh, but guys, look, let's come to some uh, some music. Now, this is uh, uh, Jeff Bullock. Uh, this is the uh, uh, the song, The Great uh, Southland, and what a fantastic land uh, we do live in. Jeff Bullock, The Great Southland. This is your nation, this is your land, this common future, this shared hope, land of victory, this land of harvest, this is your land, this is our home. Southland, 
Uh, the great Southland. I remember going to a concert of uh, Jeff Bullock's many years ago. It was uh, it was a powerful, uh, powerful uh, uh, concert that, and uh, really did appreciate it on that particular evening. And look, guys, we just want to say another shout out to a few more people who have uh, contacted us. And uh, I just uh, I just want to say hello to to Darren, of course. And uh, uh, Darren uh, mentions that he was brought up in uh, a church in Rendlesham, which that, that, that's in the southeast here of uh, South Australia. And uh, later at the Manham Church, and Manham, of course, is right on the uh, on the Murray Murray River. And he says he absolutely loved the upbringing that my granddad Rex uh, Galway and I, I certainly remember. I do remember Rex uh, and uh, and his grandpa uh, made uh, on his life. And uh, look, I just want to acknowledge these people. It is amazing uh, the impact that a uh, that a quality mentor can have on a young person's life. That's a so, so, so key. Uh, look, folks, uh, don't forget, we do have that piece of uh, giveaway today, that uh, giveaway uh, booklet, uh, The History of Tomorrow, a real little ripper, this uh, this book, History of Tomorrow by Julian Archer, uh, subtitled Some Things Never Change, as they were in the past, as they are uh, today. Uh, we've got nothing to fear for the future if we can understand uh, the way uh, that things have occurred in the in the past. Now, look, guys, if you would like,
like this book. Uh, it will challenge you. It will establish your faith in the Word of God. If you'd like this particular book, uh, why don't you text us? Now, our studio text number again is 04 888 80811 and all you need to do is to give us today's code and today's code is SA125 SA125 uh, is all you need to send us no gap between the SA and the 125 we have had a number of people request this book already but we do have uh, a few more available uh, that'll go through if you uh, text SA125 uh, to 04888 80811 uh, that will go through to our robot he'll contact you Get a little bit of information so we can get this book to you in the fastest way possible. Uh, now, uh, you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary, and my co-host today is Pastor David Butcher. And David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Oz. And this week we've been following the theme where we've asked a history of tomorrow is it possible? And uh, today we're actually chatting on that question Archaeology and prophecy. Is there truth in the dust? Uh, and of course, we're just simply talking about the evidence that archaeology provides uh, for the word of God and biblical prophecy. David, really appreciate what it is that you've shared so far, but we've only looked so far at the Dead Sea Scrolls and there is so much uh, more and you've got about 10 minutes well, uh, before we're going to have to turn you off. So That's it. And uh, Gary, I want to read from Scripture, the book of Ezra in the Old Testament, uh, uh, a historical book. And uh, this is what Ezra chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 says. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah." Whoever is among you of all of his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And then Ezra further records in Ezra 1 verse, chapter 1 verse 7, he says, Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord. Now these were uh, cups and plates, etc., mm-hmm, and, and utensils mm-hmm. that had been stolen when, when, um, Judah was raided. Uh, Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Now, when skeptics in the 19th century um, come across this passage in the Bible, they scoffed at the biblical claim that a king would allow captured people to return to their homes and rebuild their temples. It just didn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Cyrus cylinder confirms that this is actually what happened what the bible says is actually what happened and mm. um it's probably one of the most famous archaeological finds and gary you've probably seen it in the british museum yeah yeah it's been a real privilege actually to be able to wander through the british museum because there is just so much archaeological evidence in fact you can actually i've purchased a book over there uh, you know evidence from the uh, from from the from the dirt that's actually in the british museum and they've actually compiled you know they had so many people ask about this that uh, they've actually written a, a book where they have compiled uh, the uh, the evidence uh, that uh, comes from the uh, that's in their museum that supports 
the claims that are within the Word of God. And I had about two hours in the British Museum, which was not enough, and you're yeah. rushing around, and there was huge amounts of people around this Cyrus cylinder. It's very small. Yeah. It's about uh, 300 mil long, 22, 22 centimetres long, actually, and 10 centimetres in diameter. And um, anyway, this particular find, the Cyrus cylinder, as it's called, was discovered in 1879 in the ruins of Babylon. And it's in Arcadian script, and it contains uh, what many people say is the first Declaration of Human Rights and it's a declaration by Cyrus the Great and this is what it says I sent back to their places whose shrines had earlier become dilapidated the gods who lived therein and made permanent sanctuaries for them. I collected together all of their peoples and returned them to their settlements. I returned them unharmed to their cells in the sanctuaries that make them happy. May all the gods that I return to their sanctuaries every day before Balanabu ask for a long life for me and mention my good deeds. Now, this cylinder confirmed that there was a King Cyrus and he did return people back to their lands and and enabled them to build their sanctuaries. Mm. It's interesting. The Hebrew people had no God. He's uh, no gods. He sent these other peoples back with their gods, but with the Hebrews, he sent back their utensils and the things that, that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from his temple. So it confirms scripture. Maybe one other final one, Gary, that we might touch on, and this is the Hezekiah Tunnel, um, which is in Jerusalem. You've been there, and maybe if you briefly want to share your experience there. Yeah, look, this is a, this is a remarkable tunnel, and Guy. And if you happen to be a tourist in uh, in Jerusalem, please go. Into the uh, into the Hezekiah Tunnel, you can. They do take tours uh, through this particular tunnel, and what it is, it's a tunnel that actually connects the springs that are outside of Jerusalem and provides water to Jerusalem proper. Uh, certainly, in in ancient times. Now, uh, today, there's uh, there's nowhere near the amount of water going through there that there there used to be, but today uh, it it measures about uh, uh, well. I can put my elbows out and touch both sides of the of the tunnel. I'm a tall man, but I can't stand upright in it. Uh, in the tunnel, it's pitch black, and you need a torch to be able to go through it. And when you go through it, you're actually wading through in about knee-deep uh, water through most of the way, and it actually comes out at what is the, the, the Pool of Bethesda, uh, which, of course, is written about in the Word of God. But the significant thing is that the building of this particular tunnel is spoken about in the Word of God. It is, Gary. And so in Second Kings, Second um, Chronicles 32, 2-4, it says, When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib, he was an Assyrian, had come and that he intended to make war on Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city, and they helped him. A large force of men was assembled, and they blocked all the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water? They said it was Hezekiah who blocked the upper outlet of the Gihon spring and channeled the water down to the west side of the city of David. Then, Gary, I know we need to keep moving, but 2 Kings 20 verse 20 says, then it summarizes Hezekiah's life this way by saying, as for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? And so um, this uh, tunnel was discovered in the 1800s. Yeah. 
Their inscription, Hezekiah summarizing his life, one of the big achievements was the construction of this tunnel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and look, uh, this, this to me is so significant because uh, certainly to actually have something that still exists that has been dated to that time. There are many parts in the uh, places in the Middle East that you go to visit that you, you know, well, perhaps is this the right spot? Well, they think this is the right spot, but of course they're not sure because of the passage of time. Whereas this is one, one of those few places where archaeologists can look at, they can uh, say, hey, uh, this is uh, something uh, that is a, is a reliable, uh, it, it, it's a reliable, um, a demonstration that what the Word of God actually said is in fact reality. And Gary, this particular tunnel in 1880, discovered in 1838, but in 1880, some youths found some inscriptions uh, on um, on a wall of the tunnel that the original dis- uh, person had missed, Robinson. And this inscription can be dated to the 8th century BC, the exact time yeah, of Hezekiah. Yeah. And this inscription records how men dug the tunnel from two different directions and how they met in the middle. And it actually says, this is the inscription, how it reads, this is the story of the tunnel the axes were against each other and while three cubits were left to cut the voice of a man called to his counterpart for there was a crack in the rock on the right and on the day of the tunnel being finished the stone cutters struck each man toward his counterpart as axe against axe and flowed water from the source to the pool for 1200 cubits Mm. so this confirms one the inscription confirms i guess the date yes uh 8th century bc uh, and there in the 1800s, they discover this tunnel that the Bible had already talked about thousands of years before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, this is uh, this is something that, to, to me, I, I think we must not uh, overlook at all. Are the scriptures reliable in what the uh, in the accounts that they provide? Uh, the historical and the archaeological evidence. Are appears to say they are more than reliable. They are incredibly trustworthy. Do you know, Just if I can just sort of finish, because I'm conscious how, you know, we're on the countdown to the top of the hour, uh, but, you know, David, one of the other um, tablets that I really appreciated uh, being able to, to view in the British Museum was a thing called the uh, Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm. Now, this, of course, is, is a tablet uh, that was actually discovered back in 18, 1872, and uh, what it is is an Assyrian account of the flood, and it's currently in the British Museum. It's uh, it's called the Epic of Gilgamesh. The story comprises twelve tablets. It's one tablet containing one tablet contains the tale of a great deluge. The hero of the flood uh, relates an ep- relates the episode. Uh, he explains how the god he calls him Ea. Uh, warned him about an approaching judgment and told him to build a boat to save his life from the watery onslaught. As the tale unfolds, the epic in some respects is nearly identical to the biblical narrative of Noah. You know, when I look at that, I, you know, people sort of say, hey, this, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the Bible story is simply made up, you know, the story of the flood. And yet I look at this, this tale of the, um, the, the, uh, epic of Gilgamesh and I say, hey, look, you know, it's not just the Bible that has this story. It seems that this is a story that is common, uh, throughout out many of the uh, of the cultures of our world uh, you know david once again the 
archaeological record provides us with abundant evidence of how reliable the scriptures actually are. We can have confidence. And when we put prophecy with that as well, the archaeological evidence, we have something to be absolutely sure about. Yeah. David, we do need to, uh, do need to finish. It does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David on Drive Time. Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Brenton Wilkinson, uh, they're going to be leading us into a discussion, does prophecy mention Christ? Really look forward uh, to, uh, to that program. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.